All right. Hey, pod people. I'm Bart Allman. This is the Thinking and Drinking Shorty Show. These shows are going to be 10 or 20 minutes shorties about little things that are on my mind. I hope you like them. And if there's something you want me to delve into, let me know on Facebook or on my Instagram site, which is Thinking and Drinking Pod. And uh, here we go. Thanks again. Hey, special thanks to Paul Reed Smith. They make some of the best guitars in the world, and I'm so proud to have them as a sponsor. Check them out at prsguitars.com. Hello, Thinking and Drinkers. Uh, Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, We are going to start a sort of musical education series a little bit kind of a music industry 101 and uh, some of the things we're going to touch on are being a studio guitar player, being a songwriter, being a music publisher, uh, maybe being an engineer and uh, is there anything? Record promotion. Record promotion. That's right. I guess I should put that down. And if anybody has a question, go to... Yes, if we want to help educate people who may not know what all the different facets of the music industry are and these are just a handful that we're, we're starting with um so things that if, we've done yeah things that we have um experience knowledge. with and knowledge and all that fun stuff um but if there's something specific that anyone has questions about or wants us to talk about we would love for you to drop us a dm um on our instagram because that's the one that we check the most um at thinking and drinking pod also please follow us on thinking and drinking pod on instagram and on apple itunes and give us five stars we'd really really appreciate it thanks all right thinking and drinking hello pod people this is another uh interview in our music industry 101 series and today we have a special guy you know him and love him as Jam and Joey. Hello, people. This is Joey Turner, and he is a fantastic engineer, producer. Uh, my wife says it's disrespectful to call you a knob twister. I think it's kind of funny. Hey, you know, knob jockey was one of my uh, favorite <laughs> uh, terms that session players would lay on me every now and then. That's always good. Like that's enough out of you, knob jockey? Uh-huh, that's right. <laughs> That's like when I got told I was one of the best guitar owners in Nashville. <laughs> kind of, kind of the same. Right. So you grew up in Alabama. That's right. Yep. You're even uh, wearing a Bama hoodie today I, with, I am. with pride. That's right. Um, what the heck made you want to be an engineer? I think just the the love that I had of music growing up. Like uh, my room and my radio was such an escape place yeah. for me that. Um, just listening to records and going through album credits and seeing all the art and just imagining what it was like when those things were made. Did you know what an engineer was? Because I, I certainly didn't. I didn't. I just I just thought that you know the band kind of showed up and it magically just kind of right made its way to the, whatever medium it happened to be on. But um, early on. Uh, I got the opportunity to kind of go to a couple of concerts and stuff. And so my dad's first cousin was Paul Riddle from the Marshall Tucker Band. Seriously? Yeah. How have I never known that? I don't know. Dang. I don't know. But uh, anyway, just through that kind of connection, I think that that kind of piqued my interest a little bit too. There's just yeah. like, oh, okay, wow, this guy's doing this for a living. So making music, you know. 
And he's just a guy. And he's just a guy. And yeah. he was a normal dude until I saw him up with the Almond Brothers. And then it was just like, okay. Yeah. This is different. So that kind of opened that kind of Pandora's box of like recording and like making music and. Um, so already let you sit at front of house and stuff. So you could, you kind of were watching the. No, we were still kind of sitting backstage, but then it was just like understanding that, you know, hey, there's more moving pieces to this yeah. than just a band on stage. That, you know, seeing all the, the tech guys and all the road guys and all that stuff it was just like, okay, wow. So. Yeah. It's it's a small army that makes all this stuff Man, happen. No doubt. Yeah, it was really cool. So did you go to full sale or something or how, where did you go to school? Uh, went to the University of Alabama for okay. uh, a bit. <laughs> and uh so I realized that uh working a couple of full-time jobs and I was playing in bands and stuff too mm-hmm. um really wasn't great for the GPA. Um yeah. and then so going into the next year I knew that I was going to get destroyed. Um and also, too, it really wasn't a subject that I was passionate about. You know, I mean, it was mechanical engineering, which I, uh, I love. So you weren't in a music business program. I wasn't in a music program, like so music okay. was just a side gig okay. kind of thing, something that I did to blow off steam and to have fun with, and was probably having too much fun mm-hmm. <laughs> with, to be honest. Yes. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> the summer going into my junior year, I was like, you know what? Um, there's a recording program in Phoenix, Arizona called the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. That's not a plug, but I guess it could be. I, I, I um, think it is. I like so, that. But anyway, so I went out there for, because it was a short program. Mm-hmm. I think it was, it was only like four months at the time. And uh, the second I got on campus, I was like, yeah, okay. We're, this, this is this, what I'm going to do. This is it. Cause, yeah. Um, it was just all the things that I had struggled with up until that point recording wise right. and stuff and being able to learn how to really do it was eye opening. And cause it was, you know, started out with two boom boxes yeah. recording and bouncing tracks back and forth. And that progressed to a four track and then all the frustrating things with four tracks and, um, like a Tascam cassette four no, track. It was a, it was a teak reel to reel four track. Nice. Yeah. Um, that's anyway, a little. That's another. Whole that's a little long, more. Whole long story. Um, Aaron Tippin gave me my first Tascam four track, but it only had three tracks. Oh wow! So there was no bouncing. <laughs> so you were light years ahead. You got what you got. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the cool thing with the conservatory program was that you had to go do an internship, right? So. Um, being a, a firm believer in God has everything planned out for us ahead of time. I had sent applications and resumes into every studio in town. And the only place that called me back was Omnisound Studios. Dang. Right. So, um, did my internship there, started out scrubbing toilets, taking out garbage, um, helping cartage guys load in and out. What and, a great place though. Right. Yeah, so uh, Steve Twite, amazing studio manager, amazing guy. Uh, James Bauer was the house engineer okay. at the time. Um, did you send out resumes to New York or L.A., or did you just oh, yeah, know? Absolutely. Well, okay. I, I, I had, and I went out and I interviewed at a place um, in L.A., this little small studio, and uh, just because I was close in, closer yeah. to being in Phoenix. Sure. And so just driving out there and all the traffic and all, I was just like, you know, I, I don't think that this is going to be a fit for me. Because I was a small town guy, you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. Out in the woods of Hillbilly, small Alabama, going to L.A. or New York didn't really seem that no. appealing I'm, to me. I'm totally with you. Um, 
and then like once I came to Nashville and I'd come to Nashville before with a guitar player friend of mine, my roommate in college, um, he was buying a Les Paul. So we came up here to Groon and so I'd been to Nashville before and I was like, that's a pretty cool yeah. vibe. And I just liked the fact that, you know, 15 minutes, you're, it seemed like then you were what, back. In yeah. The what year was again. that? Uh, this was probably 95. Okay. Yeah, ninety five, ninety six. Yeah, that was Nashville was still awesome. Had neighborhoods and neighborhood groceries and all that. And like you said, fifteen minutes and you're back out in the country. Yeah, so like downtown, to. the strip was still the strip, and like <clears throat> Music Row was Music Row was Music Row, and that was the thing we drove. We drove <laughs> yeah. down, and it was just like boom, 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 boom. It was just like it was it, for me. It was like going through the Hall of Fame. You know, what I'm yeah, saying? it was like oh, there's this studio and there's that studio and. Well, and being a liner note junkie, you can go Willie Nelson cut there and Alabama cut there. Oh, and yeah. And Paul then, Riddle and the uh, Marshall Tucker guys cut there. And you right, all, all those things and just like, oh, wow, there's Studio B. And, you mm-hmm. know, just totally nerding out and geeking out. So the fact that I got a call back from a studio in Nashville to come do an inter- internship, I, I was all in. Did yeah. you ever ask why they let you come in? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. That'd be interesting to know. I mean, maybe they just maybe they never got any. Well, I think resumes. Um, I mean, I'm sure you did knowing, great. Knowing, at your yeah, class. knowing what I know, like once I got on staff there, yeah. that we kind of turned and burned interns. I think I was just another dude. Oh, okay. You know what I'm saying? I don't think that uh, there was anything special about you know. Hey, we're going to open the door to only one intern. No, nah, right. We went through probably about six a quarter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's um, yeah. It's uh, are you still here? I thought for sure we fired you yesterday. Yeah, or two I, months I, ago. I'm surprised you came back after yesterday. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the way it all worked out. Yeah. It it was pretty cool. So being at Omni when they kind of started figuring out that okay. You're setting up mics great. You're scrubbing toilets great. I mean, what was next? Were you turning two-inch tape over? Were you splicing and dicing? or did they? Yeah, so it finally worked my way into the control room. Okay. And, um, Were you, you nervous? Know, I was nervous, and I was very intimidated. Um, so my first session, it was uh, Herb Tasson was engineering. I think it was okay. a demo session for either Warner Brothers or... Uh, Sony, or I mean, it was a big yeah. uh, writing session. I think it might have actually been a Bob DePiro session. Oh, nice. To tell you the truth, um, but it was so. Greg Morrow was playing drums. Brignadell was playing bass. Um, Tony Harrell was playing keys. Um, I want to say either uh, JT Cornfloss was playing electric, or Brett Mason was playing electric. Or Brent Rowan, maybe it may be. Um, and let's see who was playing acoustic. Um, Billy Panda. Either Billy Panda or um, Larry Beard. Ah. Right? So I'm walking in. So, like, they're passing out the charts and everything. And, like, so this was my first attempt to kind of see how things go. Had you seen charts before? I I had heard of charts, but I had never had one in my hand to, like, actually follow. So I'm kind of sitting there trying to be a small and not take up any space in my 600, (laughs) six foot, 300 pound self trying to be small in the back of the room. Were charts the same then? Sorry to keep interrupting you. We're just number charts, right? Nashville number number chart. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there staring at the chart and everything. And I'm just like, okay, so the one is the tonic and you know, I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, okay, wow, this is pretty cool. And like every number is a bar and trying to figure it out. And I'm like looking around the room and like, uh, Greg and Brignadello are talking about 
Crooked. something. Yeah, they're they're yeah. talking about something that their kids were doing, and right. you know, everybody was like having side conversations <laughs> while Bob's sitting at the front of the room flogging away on his acoustic <laughs> guitar, right? And so I'm just like, these guys, okay. It looks like it the looks most disrespectful chaos totally, in history. Totally. But these guys were are so amazing. Yeah. All right. So Bob's done, and he's just like, all right, guys, have fun with it. You know, make it your own. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the joke. <laughs> and so they go out there, and uh, <laughs> Greg counts it off, and it was just like, Boom. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. And it was like, there it is. Yeah. And so I lean over to James and I'm just like, hey, so did these guys get these songs ahead of time or like did they rehearse? Exactly. Did they rehearse? And he's just like, and he laughs at me. Right. And he's just like, no, dude, this is, that's the first time that they've, that they've, they've heard, partially that, heard it. That they've heard this. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> what? And so to me, that was just so mind blowing. I, so at, at the lunch break, I was so excited. I called my wife and uh, I told her, I was just like, don't, don't unpack. Don't, we're not going to be here this long because um, the, the talent that I just witnessed is out of this world. We're, we're not going to be here long. Do you really think that? I, I did. I was so intimidated because it was total small fish. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, um, you know, I mean, I played trumpet and trombone through high school. I mean, you know, I mean, I played music yeah. and played an instrument and played drums, but to come and see just how fast and how deep the talent pool was here, I would just wasn't prepared for it. Oh, dude! And and to go through that session and to watch them record, I think we recorded four or five songs that day. Yeah, and they were all like masterpieces, and just to see the caliber. A professionalism. Um, did I, I remember read looking at the same records you did growing up and knowing that they spent a year and a half in the studio right. to get these ten songs done, right. and they sounded this much better than the five songs we just did in three hours. Right, and it, it's it's still just boggle. I mean, I'm getting chill bumps now just thinking about. And like, I mean, I, I just told this story the other day. I remember watching. Bukovac and these guys, Greg Morrow, Brigadello, and they got their chart. They're going, yeah, man, you know what? I'm just trying to put some, you know, new Craigers on my, hey, is that a two? Okay. Yeah. And so then, yeah, no, it's, it's the black one that's out in the back. That's a five, right? Flat, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then after Are we the, pushing that every time. Right. Okay. Right. That's a diamond there. Right. Okay. You know what? That's enough. And they've heard a verse and a chorus. Let's just try it. <laughs> yeah. See what happens. And then they go out there and they blast through it. And then they go, ah, you know what? Let's do try that at a different tempo. And then they blast through it. And then the fiddle player needs to fix his solo. The guitar player needs his solo. And they go, what's next? And you're off the and run into the next song. And it's yeah. insane. It's totally insane. And I think seeing that level of professionalism incorporated with the level of creativity. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think to yeah. me that's... That's what lit the fire under me, which is like, okay, if, if we're going to do this, if I'm going to attempt to do this, then now I have to, I have to step up my game. And it's like, they're just as crazy about the craft yeah, as, as I am, but that's the epitome of what I want to be right there. Absolutely. You know? 
Man. So did you do a ton of demos then before? I mean, like, what was your first session where you were the guy? Um, I think it was probably like, you know, some fly-by-night custom project thing that just cold-called Omni, and they didn't have an engineer, and... Steve was just like, hey, at some point, you got to pull the Band-Aid off. Yeah. You know? So... <laughs> he looks around and he goes, I think Jimmy's here. Wait, it's not Jimmy. Uh, well, that's jo- the thing. Joey, was, yeah. I think it was just like, I refuse to go home. You know what I mean? It was just oh, yeah. like, and it was must be present to win kind of thing. Yep. And so when you're drinking from the fire hose, you know what I'm saying? I mean, <laughs> it's a just good like... Lesson. the The more you can step in front of it and get blasted in the face, yep. you're just going to get that much better at it, right? So... um yeah, the studio manager just kept throwing me bones, and you know, each session kind of built, built on the next. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And it's like I'm not saying that I didn't ruin things. Oh, I absolutely ruined things. You're sneaking back in and overdubbing guitar parts, right? And stuff. You know what I mean? And like I'm like, oh, <laughs> isn't there supposed to be a microphone in front of that cabinet? No, right. no, no, no. We got it. But unfortunately, like during those time, that time, it, a lot, so much more of the stuff was on analog. So there wasn't an opportunity to, oh man, to go back. So I think learning from that, and then obviously when I came to town, the digital stuff was just starting to arrive too. Right. And so seeing an opportunity of like, okay, well, if all the other old school engineers are still on a tape based yeah. medium, um, embracing this hard disk recorder stuff might be a leg up for me. So you got in on it early then? Yeah, so I got into Pro Tools like really, really early. You're still a Pro Tools guy, Still a Pro Tools guy. Yeah. Yeah, but so it was that coin flip thing. So the radar digital recorders were just starting to come on scene and people were starting to dabble with Pro Tools to like comp tune, fly vocals and that kind of stuff, but they really weren't trusting it enough to track to it. Was that back when it was like literally a, a little Atari 64 and it took like four hours to quantize one song and all that kind of, or was this a little bit later than that? Oh no, this was, this was infancy. So like, okay. uh, the radars was still Atari. So Atari, Atari had still uh, okay. came in and they were 24 channels each. And so their big thing was like, you know, you could copy and paste. Okay. And so like that was huge. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, um, then we started linking multiple radars together. So like 48 by 48 is what we had at Omni. And, um, but it was still, it was like launching a rocket. It was, and it was very archaic and having to, we would back up files to DVD Ram, Mm. right? So you'd have to burn DVDs in between. And so it would take like 45 minutes to back up one song. So session would be over at, you know, so last session would be a six o'clock, so it's over at nine. We're yeah. there till midnight or one o'clock. Back and stuff. Back up. and stuff up, and then if you had another session that wasn't the one that you started the day before, now you had to load tomorrow's session on there. So that's another. So it might oh, be man. four o'clock in the morning when you walk out of there to be ready for the next day. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So um, when Pro Tools came online, it was it was great. What was your uh, first master you worked on? Yeah, were you uh, uh, like second on that, or were you? Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think the first one was. Um, you know what? I don't know. I, it was. Uh, let's see. You know what? I don't even know. It, my mind is not uh, with it this morning. Yeah. Um, well, you've done a couple. It, yeah, it's it's been a couple. I don't know what the very the very first one. I just. Um, I think I was more excited about the players 
and stuff every day. Yeah. Um, that when a big artist came in, I think it was mostly demos to start out with. Um, cause Omni was kind of a smaller room, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Okay. Um, that's true. We didn't really get a lot of, um, you weren't making Reba records as right, much in there. Yeah. Yeah. As much in there. So, um, so what's your favorite kind of day that five or six songs in three hours or the one song in nine hours or mixing at your killer home studio or I, I think just the the tracking process for me was just the interaction with the guys and just seeing just seeing everything being born on the spot yeah is my favorite part is is when there's no preconceived notions of anything when it's just the songwriter and their guitar to me that there's nothing more beautiful than seeing the person who wrote the song bang it out for the guys and then three minutes later yeah it's, it's the song and so when you know you joke that bob DePiro always said make it your own boys <laughs> yeah but in a nice way he was saying if there's a guitar hook that you want to play play it yeah. If there's a keyboard hook that you want to play, play it, because we can always say no. But do make it your own, because I always think the reason we hired those kind of players because was they were way better than we are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's that's cool, man. Hmm. I suppose well, who were the guys you really learned from? Did you learn just as much from players as you did engineers? Or I mean, because you already had the technical, yeah. So basic signal chain and whatever. The cool thing about being on staff at Omni was that every other day or so, you'd get a different engineer with a whole different bag of tricks. Oh, okay. That would show up. So, um, uh, Gary Pachosa. Oh yeah. Would probably be one of those guys that I'd probably put on a pedestal. Um, Gene Eichelberger. Um, who's recent he went to heaven last year i believe um just a great great dude um would sit and talk and so i'll I'll wax poetic about gene real fast please do um i'd always heard that gene was like very uh rough and gruff and like hard on people and stuff but to me he was kind of like um just a grandpa, just, you know, yeah. but it knew what he wanted and the way he wanted it and just go and do what he told you to do and shut up. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> we're going to be okay. Right. And so, <laughs> but just watching, uh, his approach to recording and just how pure and simple it was. And it was about the right microphone in the right place and not so much about you doing a brilliant knob twisting job to make this incredible sound. Right. You know what I mean? That it's like, it's an incredible player playing an incredible instrument it should sound great. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, get out of the way. But make it sound like it's supposed to. Exactly. Don't try to make a last ball right. sound like a B3. Right. Yeah. But just his mixing philosophy and the, and the hours that we would spend in the control room. So uh, Gene had some kidney issues, wound mm. up getting a kidney transplant. Well, we worked on a Bonita Hill record where his eyesight was failing. And... Um, so we had to mix the record. So we got through the tracking and stuff like that. But just being able to be his hands and his eyes oh, and wow. have him be like, okay, I'm hearing this, turn this up. I'm hearing this, turn this down. I want this to be brighter. I want this to be darker. We need more reverb here. But like him dictating those things to me was such yeah. an honor and privilege to to learn from him in that way. It was, Probably helped you also figure out what somebody with that much more experience was listening for. 
Right. You know, and, and not messing with uh, this and that. But yeah, the things really that get, were learning what was important yeah. and how to achieve those things without sacrificing another area of the mix. It was it was just eye opening. That's cool. Yeah. You talked about uh, right mic and stuff. Like, what are some of your favorite mics? Um, you'll be shocked. Like, I'm not a big, like, uber expensive mic guy. Like, I just like simple. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So, like, on my drums, it's a lot of dynamic mics and stuff. I love a lot of the older Neumann mics. Mm-hmm. Um, I like a lot of tube stuff. Can you explain the difference? Sorry to interrupt you, but between a dynamic mic and a, uh, oh, what am I trying to say? Condenser? Condenser. Okay, so it comes down to the element that's in the microphone. Okay. So you've got dynamic microphones, which is typically think of like a speaker. So mm-hmm. it's a moving coil. So you've got a, a voice coil that looks like a little mini woofer, and the magnets and the coils are wrapped around the back of that. And as sound pressure hits that, it moves back and forth. Okay. Okay, and it creates the voltage just like a regular household speaker would. It's a dynamic situation. Right. A condenser microphone, it's a little bit different. So you've got a covered membrane that goes through a preamp, and it's there's a lot more electronics involved. Right. But the fidelity of the condenser microphones are a little bit better than some yeah. of the dynamic microphones. Follow me? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you don't, you're not crazy about... Using a $30,000 mic? No, because it's. I think that was the one thing that I learned from all the other engineers was that they had their favorite microphones that they yeah. like to use on different applications. And right. that was kind of the the boilerplate where you, were, you would uh, capture it really great at the source. And so that would just make your job easier downstream if you got it right at the source. Yeah. So um, I didn't always say, well, hey, this microphone. So like, you know whatever let's say like a a Neumann old u47 which is a great microphone yeah. a highly sought after microphone absolutely but just because it's a great microphone doesn't mean it's going to be the greatest in every application you don't want to throw it in front of a marshal or something right yeah. you know what i'm saying so yeah. i think just learning those things of like when is a 57 going to be your best friend which yeah. is you know you can go out and drive nails with it <laughs> you know what i'm saying like and when, when is the best time to use a 57 versus when's the best time to use a, right. a, a great, super expensive 47, you know? Do you, I mean, you've been doing this for so long and you've been on so much gear. You obviously have your favorite equipment, mics and preamps and everything. Are you still looking for new stuff? Do you get on a YouTube rabbit hole like I do and four years or four hours later you've watched gear reviews of 67 new mic preamps or something or does yeah. that even interest you anymore well, i think what once i got a general understanding of what different preamps like what their characteristics were like what mm-hmm. a solid state preamp versus you know a transistor based that's still solid state folks don't rip me but like a you know a, t- a tube preamp versus right. you know some type of op amp versus some kind of transistor based thing yeah you, you kind of know what those tone characteristics and how fast the preamp's going to be and how it's going to react in different situations. Mm-hmm. Same thing with compressors and same things with EQ. You kind of know what you're getting just based on the topology of it. If right. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I still look, but I think what I enjoy is I'll get new music and um, I won't start enjoying that new music until I've dissected it you know, 40 ways to Sunday. To, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To truly understand, Oh, that's a neat sound. I wonder how they, I bet that's a room mic instead of, you know what I'm right. saying? A, a reverb channel or, 
You know, what do you think of the song? I wouldn't really listen to the song. Right. So <laughs> yeah. you get something like a Black Keys album that drops, and then I'm just I'm like a ball in high weeds. I'm just like, yeah. I'm lost because that's so creatively done. Absolutely. And so outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah. Where it's like whether you like it or not, it's oh, it's, it's so it's, different. How did they do that? Right. Yeah. So does uh, guys like I remember Pat Buchanan used to bring his own what Royer One Twenty One. Yeah. I think did. A lot of pe- guitar players or drummers or vocalists, do they bring their own mics to sessions or do they just understand that you're in a great studio, great studios probably have great mics? Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys uh, later on started to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was always a fan. It's just like, hey, that guy has probably spent way more time thinking about his sure. tone than I have. Yeah. And so I should probably honor what he's willing to send me right. because... You know what I'm saying? I mean, chances are it's going to be pretty good. So, yeah, if someone's like, hey, I've got a microphone that I really like, I'm like, great, I love it. Because at the end of the day, my job is to to paint the picture that the artist wants, right? right. And so they hired that guitar player for a reason. They hired that vocalist yeah. for a reason. Or it's that person's project. And if that's the way they want their voice to sound, if that's then that eliminates a lot of variables of searching for me, you know right. what I'm saying? So yep. the more things that I can get ironed out ahead of time, it's going to help get us all along the way. How did you, uh, well, I'll go down further. You're a, a Pro Tools guy. Mm-hmm. Um, one question that my lovely wife said, how do you get paid? Do you get paid per song, by the hour, by the session? <laughs> well, Not at all? When, <laughs> when you do get paid. Um, no, back in um, the height of the demo session mm-hmm. thing that was my glory days so it was i would get paid by the session or get okay. paid by the day yeah um and then once home studios kind of took off and the tracking thing kind of got more compartmentalized where right. it was bouncing around between the musicians home studios or their mm-hmm. personal studios then the mixing turned into a per song mix oh, okay yeah okay so uh how did you learn to deal with songwriters who can't talk to you or they can't talk to the band, or an artist who can't or won't talk to anybody, or a producer that's clueless when asking you how to do that, or, you know, just don't look them directly in the eye sort of stuff. I mean, because I've, I've seen you in a lot of different situations, and you're, you're very chameleon-like while being very courteous, <laughs> and you always have a little smirk on your face, perhaps. <laughs> so it's obvious you've worked and dealt with a lot of, you know, well, so it, I think it comes down to patience. And I think as you mature through your career, sometimes you can become less patient Mm -hmm. with those people. But I think you have to keep in your mind that you didn't roll out of bed your first day, a genius. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it it was a progression. So anytime you, you run across someone who doesn't know verbiage or doesn't know really the best way to get their idea out some things you just have to just let them try it even yeah. even though you know the end result right and you know immediately what they're after so you just have to let them try some things because that that's gonna one not quench their creativity right and they're gonna trust you more that you're letting them try some you know what i'm saying you just don't sure. steamroll them um now sometimes there are folks that are incredibly frustrating to work with right. because um, they don't know what they want and they don't know how to achieve what they want. And so now it's, it's a time 
consuming yeah. endeavor. Um, but yeah, yeah. You, I think you just, you, you try to deal with those situations respectfully. Um, I want it to sound like a yellow parakeet. Right. And that's the other thing too. So okay. it's just like, you know, when, when you're trying to put adjectives to something sonic, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you start blending the senses together and it's just like, oh, I want this to feel this way or I want this. And you start throwing out colors or, you know what I'm saying? Other adjectives that don't really kind of fit. Then you're just like, okay, well, um, I, I forget the, I, I don't know if, uh, what B3 player it was. It might've been, um, Oh, you know, the story is like, I'm just going to keep pulling these draw bars. You tell me when it gets to Brown. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> remember that story? Oh, was it, was it Reese? like Reese? Yeah, it might've been Reese. <laughs> um, he was just like, I want this to sound more Brown. He's like, okay, well I'm going to go over here and I'm going to start pulling these things and you tell me when it turns Brown. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's it's those situations, and you know when you've got a songwriter or whatever. And now that puts me in the hot seat. And going back to a Reese story, this was funny. So, you know, Reese loves organ and the piano parts and stuff. They're going to be very honky tonk, and he likes yeah, you know. So and he's the best. He's the best. And so there was this big, huge ballad that the songwriter had, and so Reese was on the date or whatever. And so Reese had, was playing, you know, these very awesome chords and stuff yeah. and so but they wanted more movement and stuff in the deal so i got the great opportunity to hit the talk back and be like hey man i love what you're doing but uh can we can we get a little more fluid and right. uh, you know a little more melodic with the <laughs> keyboard part and you know so there i am telling one of the greatest keyboard players that has ever yeah. walked I, I love what you're doing just not on this song <laughs> right and so you, you kind of have to well, what was his response, Joey? Well, I don't think it's <laughs> podcastable, but uh, he he expressed his uh, uh, displeasure with yes. the selection. But he agreed, and he did it like a pro, yeah. and, and he nailed it. Um, and yeah, so I mean, being uh, feeling uh, self conscious about asking for things that are outside of your comfort zone, I try to relate that back to the previous question of like, you know, how do you deal with yeah. you know, artist or a producer or something who doesn't know the correct way. Because I mean, you know what? I'm, I fall in those deficits as well when talking oh, yeah. to musicians, you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, can you voice this chord like this? And it's like, well, okay, well now that's going to rub with this, but sure. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? It's also just such a relationship figuring out how to ask somebody something right. like that. Right. Because also going back, the reason we, Reese gets hired is because he's a way better keyboard player than we are. Right. So let him try let something. Let him try something and, and trust that. Yeah. I've always said, and that's what I loved about the thousands of sessions we did with all Buchanan and all those cats is like, send them out to deep water. And if they get too far out, then we go, hey, you know what? Instead of the Les Paul through a Marshall, can we play a Telly through a Twin and just see what happens? Right. But you can't push people out. No. You can only bring them back in. Yeah. So figuring out how to bring them back into safe waters is hard. Yeah. All right. Last question. And don't say who it was if you can think of anything unless you really want to. But what's the most ridiculous, stupid request you ever got from somebody that you ever had to work with? <laughs> um. I know that's hard. I won't say it was a request. I'll say that it was a statement, <laughs> and I, I still use it to this day. Um, Crickets? Well, there, there was that one. Um, 
so we just finished this monster track and it i mean goosebumps everything everybody had played amazing and uh the songwriter leaned over to me and was like man this is this is going to be awesome can we just need to overdub some space wow and so immediately <laughs> i burst out laughing cuz but the song just, just the total concept yeah. of that but then to realize that bro man was serious, serious about wanting some more space and that you know we didn't have the concept of being able to take things out of the mix or muting some things, but right. we needed to physically overdub. Let's add some more. Let's add some space. So what'd you do? Just like record four tracks of silence and ask him if that was better? Yeah, I think I just kind of sidestepped the deal and was just like, yeah, okay, buddy. Yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get right on that. <laughs> you don't have space or refrigerator. I'm going to get a water. Yeah, uh, somebody want to queue up the next song here? Because... Uh, <laughs> We don't need to hold the guys over for this uh, space overdub. Mm. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you would like to add besides the space overdub? Yeah, I just, uh, just everybody that I've ever worked with, like all the great songwriters and stuff, I just want to throw out a huge thank you to all of them because through their patience, you know, and, and they're trusting me to, to do what I do, you know, it's just provided an opportunity for me to provide for my family and something that I love to do. So this town, this community, these songwriters, these musicians, um, I just have to thank all of them. It's a real team effort. Isn't it, it is a real team effort. Yeah. And just, uh, the community that is here and it exists. Um, it's, it's awesome. And I love it. Would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. In a second. Awesome. Well, I love you, buddy. Thank love you. you. Too, man. Thanks, bro. Bye.